And welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. My name is Pete Burek, filling in for Al. As we enter into the next segment, let's just all say, Come Holy Spirit, fill Al Cresta with your spirit as he speaks to the good people of Nebraska with Spirit Catholic Radio. And transitioning into the next segment, uh, I'm here with Patrick Rice. Patrick is the Executive Director of Encounter Ministries and has recently written a book called Supernatural Saints, A School of Ministry from the Saints. Patrick, I've known Patrick for several years now. He is full of the Holy Spirit. He's full of God moving in his life. And he was kind enough to drive down US-23 to join us in studio. Patrick, welcome to Crest in the Afternoon. Thanks so much, Pete. There was no traffic and the angels were just so peaceful. <laughs> that, that is your life. The angels yeah. are peaceful around you. That's mm-hmm. good. So, Patrick, uh, I want there's we have time, so I want to un- unpack several different aspects of you of Encounter Ministries. But I want to start with the book. Cool, because I've read the book and I was inspired by it. And there's it's kind of an interesting title, Supernatural Saints, because all the saints presumably had supernatural activity in their heart. But as you set out and felt called to write about particular saints with particular kind of lessons from their lives. What was the Spirit doing in you that kind of said, this book needs to be written and it needs to be written in this way? Yeah, I did, uh, a few years ago, I I really did a deep dive into the lives of the saints that was kind of spurred on by a narrative that I kept coming up against. So um, it came out of the context of the Encounter School of Ministry, where we our, our mission is to teach, equip, and act. This, sorry, teach, equip, and activate disciples to demonstrate the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit in their spheres of influence. And there's going to be uh, a big emphasis on identity, doing things out of intimacy, but with the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we're really passionate about, um, yeah, demonstration. We're really passionate about prophetic ministry, healing ministry, power evangelization. Um, and this is what we see in the life of Jesus. And so, you know, the, 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 the narrative we kept coming up against was, uh, well, it was, if, if it was a conversation, it would look something like this. Well, Patrick, I know that Jesus did all the supernatural miracle stuff. Um, I know the apostles did that, and maybe in the early church for a little bit, but um, didn't that stuff kind of fade away and is no longer necessary as... We have built up the church, and uh, you know the, the the machine's running well. And yeah, right, right. <laughs> so it, there's this presumption that um, that the supernatural either faded away or it's no longer really necessary. And uh, the response I the, when you read through the history is that no, this never faded away. This has been an unbroken uh, e- example of, of two thousand years of history. And um, I decided I'm going to go learn and just not only see the documentation, but I wanted to see how they were doing it because we're, you know, we're walking in the spirit in a certain way. We have like the charismatic renewal of the 20th century that is re- responsible for um, re-unlocking so much of what we as a church um, are experiencing right now. And uh, basically I went into um, the letters, like whatever letters were available and, um, what I would call trusted sources of, of, of data from their life. So the biographies from people that actually knew them. Yeah, first-hand so, accounts. Yeah, I, 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 have no, I, have, I have no tolerance for hagiographies. I, don't, I think that can do more damage. Sure. Um, where we only play up, where, where writings are only written about the good things and tons of embellishment. So I, I kicked out all hagiographical, hagiographical sources. Um, and what I saw was... Um, like direct insight into like how they understood how they hear God's voice, 
how they prayed for healing, how they were engaging in prophetic ministry, how they were praying for the presence of God to touch other people's lives, things that like we are teaching in our school. And um, and I realized, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I've read tons of like Lives of the Saints. Um, and it's almost like this stuff got omitted somewhere. <laughs> I, I started to think like, is this a conspiracy theory? Like, how come I never knew? Like we knew what they did, but not how they did it. And sure. there was, there's so much data about how they did it. So I went through and I have, um, uh, in the book, I, it compiles lessons from six saints um, over many different time periods, um, especially in the, uh, you know, uh, medieval and enlightenment area, eras when people thought that, uh, where there was a lot of assumption that there wasn't a lot of supernatural ministry going on. Yeah, no, that's, it, it's an important work because it, it helps... Um, normalize the supernatural in a certain way where it becomes more normative in our own hearts and minds to think, yeah, why wouldn't God want to move however he wants to move? And why should we ever put him in the box? There's one of my favorite quotes from Pope Francis where he says, don't cage the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times we say, yeah, Lord, move through us, but only in this way because that's my personality. Or move for us or, no, but I'm an introvert, so please don't ask me to do anything kind of wild outside or my Outside my comfort zone. Outside my comfort zone. And then when we only operate in our comfort zone, we don't need the comforter. Yes, that's very good. Yeah, that's very good. <laughs> I, as you research these saints, and like you said, you kind of threw out the embellishments or you really tried to dive into who were these men and women, what was God doing in them, and what can we learn from that? What would you say was the most surprising thing? Like a surprising lesson or surprising trait? How about both? Both. Okay, so I would say they all had, there was always um, some kind of personal, profound encounter experience that led them into walking in the supernatural. Okay. So at the beginning of every of every chapter, I, I kind of talk about their life, their their general impact, what they did for the church. And then there's a section on the particular encounter experience that they had that shifted things because they didn't they didn't come out of the womb like uh, you know doing miracles. <laughs> mm-hmm. Something Jesus had to do something there, mm-hmm. and that was true. I know in my life, Pete, you're more like you're moving in the power of the Spirit. You're doing same thing. You have like encounters that have shifted your life. Yeah. Same thing for them. Um, that was one thing, and then uh, I think my favorite of, of, of all of them was probably Saint Philip Neri. Okay. I'll tell you that story. So St. Philip Neri, um, always very holy guy, um, grew up in a good family. Um, had a, he, he, was, he, was from, um, he wasn't from Rome, but he, he knew that Rome had a, a, a great significance. Um, and he ended up uh, going to Rome as a young man, and he would make pilgrimages to the seven churches very frequently. And then on the eve of Pentecost, um, when he was in his 20s, he, um, he went to the catacombs of... Mm. St. Paul outside the walls, just to pray for the Holy Spirit. He was by himself. And then um, basically what happened on the eve of Pentecost is uh, the Holy Spirit answered his prayer, and he saw a ball of fire, um, like a a ball of fire physically descend from within the catacombs and enter his mouth and lodged in his chest. And he got filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit, like literally, Mm -hmm. and this joy this absolute uncontainable joy. Like when you, you know, when, when the scripture talks about um, Mary greeting Elizabeth and John the Baptist leaping for joy, that's what I picture was happening. And then like, uh, he didn't just have this pious, you know, hands folded experience. 
he fell on the f- floor violently. He started mm. shaking. Mm. He was experiencing manifestations. Like uh, if you go to an encounter conference, we always have like prayer for baptism of the Holy Spirit, impartation. What he was experiencing um, 500 years ago was like uh, what we experience when we pray for the Holy Spirit. And it was, it was really powerful. Um, and uh, that marked him forever. And it led him on this trajectory. And uh, what's really interesting scientifically is um, his heart enlarged. And um, at the end of his life, everyone knew that he had a big heart. But at the end of his life, they did an autopsy. And they they discovered that uh, multiple ribs had broken Hmm. around his heart. And his physical heart was actually twice the size of the average human heart. And it happened at that uh, that Pentecost experience. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you say to somebody who's, who's listening and saying like, wow, awesome. St. Philip Neri, what a guy. Yeah. You know, look at what God did in him. Uh, that is both inspiring and seemingly so far beyond anything I could dream of, hope for, expect for God to do in me. Like there's the, the six that you highlight, which rightfully deserve recognition and analysis. But then for the quote-unquote, everyday Catholic who's just walking and saying, like, okay, that's wonderful for them. That makes sense for them. But how do I, how, how can I possibly even walk into that? Or what should I expect? Is this, is this normative? Should I be expecting a ball of fire to enter me? Or how, how do you talk to the people, to just kind of everyday normal Catholics who are filled with faith and want more and are, want more of the power of the Holy Spirit to be moving in their life? But, I mean, should they be expecting this? Or what kind of, how do you frame that? Well, I mean, not, yeah, everyone's going to have a different kind of encounter. But, yeah. um, you, you you go to the you have you go back to the the way that Philip Neri had it. He was reading the life of Christ, the early church. Um, he was he was reading about Pentecost. Yeah. He was praying for Pentecost. When you pray for Pentecost with faith that that can happen to you, that's a dangerous prayer. <laughs> and that's what he prayed. Hmm. Um, so he didn't have his eyes focused on another saint. Like if Philip Neri right right here, he wouldn't say like, oh God. You know, like, just just imitate me. Um, he would say, no, imitate the, uh, follow the life of Jesus and what the life of Jesus um, came in. And Pope Benedict XVI, he said um, the ultimate uh, mission of Jesus was to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. And so he experienced what I believe, uh, he didn't say this, but I think it's pretty clear. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. at that moment. Yeah. And uh, it is a beautiful experience that... Um, unlocks the grace of mission, evangelization, spiritual gifts, the, uh, a greater share of the life of the Holy Spirit. This is what confirmation, the aim of confirmation is, is to perpetuate the grace of Pentecost. So yeah, this yeah. is available to everyone. Um, will it come with a ball of fire? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess maybe <laughs> asking you shall receive, right? Yeah. But I think that, uh, I think that's, I'm glad you connected it to the sacramental life of the church because that it's very clear that, Jesus established these sacraments so that the fullness of his life could be lived out and perpetuated yeah. across the, the whole life of the church. And I mean, you know, in the book and in, in different, as I was thinking about and praying for this segment, reflecting on John fourteen twelve, right? When Jesus promised that his believers, his followers would do the works that he did and greater works than these. So this is not... Um, this is not our idea. No. This is no. Jesus' idea, and he created a normative way for this to happen through the sacraments. But unfortunately, that doesn't isn't always the case that we we experience that or are activated in that. Yeah, yeah. It's uh it's it's a mystery and um 
there's a, a theologian of the Holy Spirit. His name is Killian McDonald, and he he, he actually analyzed this uh, phenomenon. That he re- he recognized that I mean the Catechism says that uh, the aim of confirmation is to perpetuate the grace of Pentecost. Mm. And so the goal of confirmation is that the the way that the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles um, will come upon us in mm. that. We have time? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to keep this going. Okay. So we're, and coming up on the end of this segment with Patrick Rice from then, Encounter Ministries. And then you'll find the answer. Yeah, yeah. Stick around to hear more about the Holy Spirit, what it means to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, and what we can learn from these great saints that were totally given over, totally surrendered to the will of God, heard his voice, and had the courage and the conviction to move in it. I'm Pete Burak, filling in for Al Cresta. This is Cresta in the Afternoon. And welcome back to Cresta in the Afternoon. My name is Pete Barak, filling in for Al, having a very fun and hopefully spirit-filled conversation right now with Patrick Rice. Patrick is the founder and executive director of Encounter Ministries and recent author of Supernatural Saints, a school of ministry from the saints. So as the name of the book implies, a school of ministry, which means we're being taught something through this mm-hmm. book. Uh, kind of a softball question, but a fun one, and also one I'm very curious to hear your answer of. What is the favorite lesson that you learned? I asked you in the last segment kind of what surprised you or what was common to all of them, but you personally, Patrick, what did you most take away from writing this book? I'll answer that, but I, I feel like we should finish that last question with Father Killian. Okay. Yeah. So back on that, if, if you're like just dying to know, like what's the deal with like – yeah. Confirmation is supposed to perpetuate the grace of Pentecost, just like the um, disciples received in the upper room. And, you know, we, we go to our confirmations and they don't look like Pentecost always. So what's going on? And uh, we'll have experiences where, like, you know, people like you or I, you and I have been prayed for um, after we've been confirmed and we experience the grace of Pentecost in a way that we necess- maybe didn't experience and have the effects of that. You know, when we were in eighth grade. Right. And so he had this question. Uh, he, he had two options. He said, okay, baptism of the Holy Spirit is either a uh, – his judgment was it's either a stirring up of what you first received at confirmation that laid dormant, kind of mm-hmm. like uh, chocolate syrup in the bottom of, uh, you know, a, a, a pitcher of milk. Mm-hmm. So it, it never got stirred up to become the sweet chocolate milk. Or it's uh, just the fruit of prayer and, like – you didn't have like the faith and, and the church teaches that, that faith is the necessary um, conditions for the sacraments to flow. And uh, you didn't receive it then, but the prayer of faith, um, God did meet you there. And uh, his answer, Pete, was he doesn't really know. He just <laughs> said, it, it's, I, yeah. we don't know how it works, but as long as it sure. happens, that's the most important thing. And I, I think that's what's happening in the lives of the saints here. Um, they were, regardless of, of where they were, the Holy Spirit came and, and they, they pursued the three things, the, the life, the gifts, and the power of the Holy Spirit together to advance the kingdom of God and make him known. So I think that's beautiful. In, in terms of like one of my, my favorite um, lessons. Um, Maybe just pause you there. Yeah. Because we went back to that, it is really important to just highlight that it's a non-negotiable for a Catholic to be living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Non-negotiable. That, that is not a particular spirituality. That is not just a particular personal preference. It is a unequivocal, consistent teaching of the church 
that to be baptized and to be confirmed and to be walking as a Catholic disciple of Jesus Christ is to be filled with his spirit, to have a new life, to be operational in the, as Paul tells us in Corinthians, that to each is given a manifestation of the, the spirit for the building up of the kingdom for the good. We call them charisms and the gifts of the spirit and the fruits of the spirit in Galatians. Like we could go on and on about yeah. this, but the, the thing that I think can be somewhat frustrating is to say that, oh no, that I'm... I'm I'm more Marian in my approach. Well, good. That's that's important. We should. We're Catholic. We we want to have a devotion to Mary. Or I'm more Eucharistic. Of course we are. Yeah, you know, like the Eucharist is the source and summit. But we are also a Pentecostal people. We are filled mm-hmm. with. We the were power born of Pentecost. on Pentecost. It's man. the birthday of the Church, and so uh, that doesn't mean that all expressions of that are equally consistent across the believers. It's not like everyone has to have the exact same preference for music or whether your hands go up or down or all around, like there's some consistency of the, of an external reality of being mm-hmm. lived, filled with the power of the Holy spirit. And there's some particulars of how that's expressed, but it's a non-negotiable that we are filled with the power of the Holy spirit. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give us it. your lesson. All right. So, um, my confirmation saint was, uh, St. Francis Xavier. Okay. And, um, the baptizer. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, Francis Xavier, he, um, he lived in, um, he's one of the, the early Jesuits, one of the founding members of the Jesuits, and would end up going to um, uh, to India and to different parts of Southeast Asia, all the way to Japan, and uh, would die in the mission field, and arguably was, was maybe the most effective and fruitful missionary in that region um, as the um, you know, the Europeans were, were setting out and doing their trade and everything. So when he got to Goa, India, um, he started going to the areas that that were first evangelized, and then he started quickly finding places that never heard the gospel. And so um, there's the early lessons about how he um, how he incorporated he, uh, physical healing prayer into his evangelization, and his evangelization method was actually he was very adamant about it. He would just recite the Apostles' Creed, hmm. and he would unpack it. Hmm. So, like the question of like, well, how I don't what do what do I do when I when I meet a non Christian? Like, how do I explain the faith? And like, I mean, there's there's a thousand ways to get to the you know to get there. But um, for him, he was just like, I went through the Apostles' Creed and hmm. I explained each part, and it was like the the Apostles' Creed, and then when he unpack it with Scripture. It was the gospel of power. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for those who believe. Um, but it, it wasn't enough to just explain it. He would pray for healing. He would look for opportunities where there was sickness, disease, oppressing people, and over and over, like the, his um, the rate of healing in the midst of preaching the gospel was was astronomical to the point where um, this happened. He couldn't satisfy all the demands. For, for physical healing, both from the new Christians and the non-Christians that were hungry to hear about this and were like the crowds following Jesus um, for healing, they were following Francis Xavier. So this is what he did. I'm, I'm going to quote, uh, For my part, I desire to satisfy all, both the sick who came to me themselves and those who came to beg on the part of others for healing, lest, if I did not, their confidence in and zeal for our holy religion should relax And I thought it wrong not to do what I could in answer to their prayers. But the thing grew to such a pitch that it was impossible for me myself to satisfy all and at the same time to avoid their quarreling among themselves, everyone striving to be the first to get me to his own house. So I hit upon a way of serving all at once. 
As I could not go myself, I sent round children who I could trust in, in who I could trust in my place. They went to the sick persons, assembled their families and neighbors, recited the creed with them, and encouraged the sufferers to conceive a certain and well-founded confidence of their restoration. Hmm. Then after all this, they recited the prayers of the church. To make my tale short, God was moved by the faith and piety of these children and of many others and restored to a great number of sick persons health, both of body and soul. How good he was to them. He made the very disease of their bodies the occasion of calling them to salvation and drew them to the Christian faith almost by force. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, so, there's so much to unpack there. I love, like, it, the the kingdom of God, like, don't, don't despise the children. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Mm. Um, let the children come to me. Like, mm-hmm. children, there's no, uh, there's no miniature Holy Spirit, right? Right. And St. Francis... Uh, Francis Xavier understood that, and he he saw, wow, I I can't I can't do all of these things. It's almost like Jesus at the end of Matthew chapter nine. Uh, he looked out in the crowds; they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And then he called the apostles, and he imparted to them um, he, his authority to drive out unclean spirits and to heal every disease and every infirmity. And it was kind of like Francis Xavier did the same thing. He was like, I can't do this on my own, so he am imparted and built faith in the children to go be his apostles mm-hmm. and um and was recounting how great multi, like great many were restored not only health of their body but their soul and it was the the need for healing that brought forth spiritual salvation yeah so and that's the key that's such a key point right that the there's two things that I'd love to highlight in this that is it starts with a proclamation of the gospel mm-hmm. with the desire for conversion of faith. Like the point of physical healing of, of signs and wonders of, of kind of supernatural manifestations is not just to be like, oh, look, cool. Like, look what God did. I mean, there is an element of that just on a human level. It's like, wow, look, it's kind of amazing what God just did. But the point, the reason the Lord moves like this is to confirm the word that was spoken. You look at the Acts of the Apostles that a lot of times this, this message, this gospel is, is hard to believe. You know, it's, yeah. it's pretty radical, the claims of the gospel. So the Lord understands this, and in his mercy to his people says, what I'm asking you to proclaim is difficult. It's a stumbling block. It's folly. So I'm going to confirm it in a way that is unequivocal so that those who are doubting could come to faith. Because at the end of the day, the thing that heaven rejoices over is not whether or not somebody's leg grows back. Mm-mm. Heaven's not that impressed by that because... I, I think they're a little bit more impressed. Yeah, they, yeah. They, maybe they are. But the point is, what Jesus tells us heaven celebrates over is a sinner coming yeah. back to faith. And the the Father's kind of like, whatever I need to do to get you to believe, I'm going to do. And it's on us to to also believe that and, and walk in the Spirit and, and see what he wants yeah. to do. No, that's the real party. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real party. That's the real party, man. And that's amazing. And that and so what you see in, in Francis Xavier is saying, I want you to believe. I want you to be baptized. I want you to be brought into the family of God. I want your souls to be healed. Yeah. And I want to also physically heal you in order to confirm that this is true. And it's for everybody. It's for everybody. Yeah. And so, like, uh, because of this story, this inspired us. We have an annual encounter conference. Um, there are about 5,000 people that are involved. Um, and we do a kid's track. Uh, in a middle school track and a high school track. But for the kids track, we um, one of our, our leaders teaches the kids how to pray for healing, mm. just charging them with faith. And some of the most incredible healings have happened through the kids praying for the adults at the in our healing service. And um, it's become kind of normal in my family that 
whenever there's a need. All of my kids have faith to pray for healing, and all of them have seen uh, measures of healing flow through their prayers. And so this is my heart. I want to like I yeah. want this is this is normal. Uh, this is the normal Catholic faith. It, it is normal, and what's so beautiful about the Catholic faith, right, is we are able to hold things in tension, where we can say everything you just said, and then also recognize that in God's wisdom and plan, sometimes healing doesn't happen. And so there could be people who are listening and only we only have a couple minutes left, but just a quick word on yeah. how, how, do, how would you understand and how would you keep in tension that the reality of this is normal, the Lord wants to move in supernatural ways to heal physically and spiritually, and yet uh, people still die yeah, and, and so, some people aren't healed. Yeah, absolutely. The, the best example actually comes from St. Philip Neri because he addressed this and this is in the book. So okay. I'll, I'll share with you um, the way that, that Philip Neary um, addressed, it, it's, a, it's the section, it's called Tensions in Healing Ministry. Hmm. So in, in this, um, Philip Neary, he was the, he converted Rome like one person at a time. He was called the Apostle of Rome, and he did tons of like individual healing house calls. Hmm. And there's a story where um, this woman brought Philip Neary to her house to pray for her husband. And um, Philip, he, he had seen like miracle after miracle after miracle. But in this testimony, one of his um, disciples who wrote his biography, one of the two, said that he he couldn't pray for healing. He felt like deprived mm. of faith to pray for healing, and he shifted his ministry to this to the health of his soul. He asked him, "Is there anyone you need to forgive? Mm. Is there anything you need forgiveness for?" He uh, he heard his confession. He led him to forgive people, and um, the, the men ended up dying. And uh, and that's the thing. Like, w- w- yes, if someone asks us to pray for healing, definitely pray. But like, in, before you want to ensure the health of their body, we we should be called to you know ensure the health of their soul. Amen. Amen. Yeah. So, if somebody wants more information about Encounter or the book, what should they do? So, uh, you can check out EncounterMinistries.us. That's the general ministry. Um, our major apostolate is our Encounter School of Ministry, and that's EncounterSchool.org. And if you want to check out Supernatural Saints, uh, it's on Amazon.com. You just go Supernatural Saint, search Amazon.com. Um, it's being it's translated into Spanish, and it's currently almost going to be released in French, Polish, um, Croatian, and soon to be German. Yeah, we're gonna all hit Gift them all. The tongues coming out of the, the different translations. Yes. Uh, all right, Patrick Rice, founder and executive director of Encounter Ministries. Thank you so much for. Joining me in studio, thank you for the work that you're doing and your yes to the Lord. We're coming towards the end of hour number two on Crested in the Afternoon, but stay tuned. we got just a little bit more.